right, let's pray again before we consider our church doctrine together. Our Father, we are thankful, Lord, that you uh, just give us a church where we can learn your truth and that we could um, seek to align ourselves as believers with like-minded convictions. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us even a church covenant that we just read, that we could align ourselves and be reminded even about how we've agreed to, to live with one another in Christian unity and love. Thank you also that you've given us your word and that you've given us the ability to be able to look at and consider what we believe your word teaches about a variety of important things. Pray, Lord, even as tonight we look at Article 16 of our confession, Lord, that we'd be able to see biblical connections and be encouraged even in our beliefs that we might believe together and we might encourage one another with and that you might use these things to build and, and, and lift us up in the faith for your glory. We say this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in a world of hostility because of the fall. We're no longer in the garden like Adam and Eve were just for that short period of time in history. No one else has experienced the garden but two people only for a little bit, just a little bit. Then all of their descendants have experienced outside of the garden, as we know, after the fall, strife, murder, war, dire consequences of people at each other, against each other. And how should we think about life in this fallen, sin-sick world with so much conflict? What should be the Christian view? This leads us to Article 16 here of the Baptist Faith and Message on the topic of peace and war. Look with me in our first point, which is seek to be at peace with all. Look with me at the beginning of the Baptist Faith and Message here, Article 16, the first portion, it says this. It is the duty of Christians to seek peace with all men on principles of righteousness. Romans 12, 18 echoes this, and I think it's such an important passage for us to take to heart here. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Don't you just love how realistic the Bible actually is? It doesn't picture some utopia where everyone just gets along all the time. Everything just works out like a fairy tale. No, in a fallen world, there will be conflict because where sinful hearts abide, sinful actions toward each other will will happen and be in conflict, to be sure, right? But as Christians, with transformed hearts, as we saw this morning from the parable of the sower, if you're a believer, we are not to act like the world, and we will, as believers, rise above that kind of selfish, me-centered approach of unbelievers in this world. And we must, as Christians... With new hearts, seek to live at peace with everyone. 
Christians should not be known for a kind of pugilistic getting out the boxing gloves to settle this once and for all kind of people. That's not us. We're transformed. And we were once enemies of God, but he has now made us not only, you know, no longer his enemies, not only not God's enemies, but we're now longer, we, we are now his friends. But also, not only friends, but we are his family, children adopted into the family of God. That should change everything for us. We need to transcend the normal backbiting, one-upmanship in our workplaces, in our community, in our church, and in our homes that is oftentimes characterized by worldliness. And we should live humble, genuine Christian lives. Not perfect, but always seeking to put forward a faithful witness in Christ-like living. And also repenting where we fail and sin, which is also just a really great witness to those around us. For that kind of transparency and humility displayed with unbelievers and unbelieving co-workers, for instance, and family members or friends will make a huge impact. I mean, if you tell somebody genuinely from the heart that you're sorry and that you sinned and that you were wrong and they're an unbeliever, they'll just look at you like, I don't experience that that much. And what this is weird. It's, it's a witness. It's a testimony when, when you do that. It's not being perfect, but being humble, being a Christian in, in all areas, even when you fail. But what I love so much about this passage, Romans 12, and what has been so transforming for me as I live also in a fallen world, is that sometimes... And we've all experienced this. Every one of us in this room have experienced this. Sometimes, even with our best efforts to live godly lives and live at peace with people around us, with one another, even with our best efforts, sometimes other people may stab us in the back or gossip about us or slander your name or attack you and cause all kinds of grief and mischief and try to do you actual harm even when you're doing your best to live at peace with them and everyone around you. Do you see how practical this is? Do you see how? You cannot control what other people do, but you can control what you do. So if possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with all. But some things don't depend on you, right? And that is what I love about the realistic nature of the Christian life as revealed in the Bible, it allows us to lay our heads down on the pillow at night knowing that if we did right and having a clean conscience, even when there's someone out there who might be your unintended by you, enemy. Seek to be at peace with all here as far as it depends on you. And if you're unable because of something outside of your control, be aware and live in a clean conscience before God and before others. And in a fallen world, sadly, there still may be conflict. So this leads us to point number two. The Baptist faith and message here, we're going to see here, seek to end war. Now we're transitioning from the personal situation and peace and conflict to a different layer here. Seek to end war, even by going to war, if just and necessary. Let's see 
rather sparse portion here on the Baptist Faith and Message article. Just one quick sentence. This is in accordance with the spirit and teaching of Christ. They should do all their power to end war. Look with me at Matthew 5 and 1 and 2. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what Jesus says. And then in Romans 13 and 4 and 5, I think it's helpful to be aware of the state and government and, and, and even um, the kind of um, authority that, that God has given us. He says, for he is, a, is God's servant for your good, talking about state in this way. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. We'll see this more in Article 17 on religious liberty. We'll see the context here more next time. It says, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, the Baptist faith and message doesn't elaborate much here in this point. Here's just one quick sentence. There's more to be said, of course. But after reading multiple resources through Baptist history, kind of going back to other pastors, for instance, Herschel Hobbes, if you've ever heard of him, he's since passed away, but he wrote in the 70s um, about the Baptist faith and message, and then, and he was a famous preacher of old. And, and even looking back and looking at a book that the authors from the Baptist faith and message 2000, which is the one that we're looking at, the update there, um, three, three people, Kelly, Land, and Moeller, all wrote kind of a, a workbook as it relates to this. And then I also kind of referenced an even more recent book written by a Missouri Baptist named Rob Phillips. What they all emphasized on this point was not a kind of be-all, end-all effort to end war at all times and completely, you know, just avoid war as Christians. None of these well-known Baptists were pacifists, for instance. And though the article here is sparse, since all of them belabored this point, I thought I'd let you kind of know, uh, you know, there's more to be said outside of this sentence. And um, it doesn't mean a complete absence of war at all costs for the Christian worldview. And, and I, I don't believe that the Bible reveals a pacifism as a biblical end, and I'm glad that our doctrinal confession of faith doesn't require it either, even though it's short, right? Spirit and teachings of Christ, that they should do all they can in their power to end war. That's also kind of live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you kind of thing, right? All your power, sometimes even in your greatest efforts for peace, peace is just not going to happen in, in a fallen world. And this world outside of the garden, there has always been world conflict and battles and bad, sinful, wicked people doing evil things. And one really thought-provoking question that was posed by one of these resources I looked at this past week in my preparation is this question. What happens with, when evil, bloodthirsty people are met with nothing but pacifists? That's a sobering thought. It would be chaos, destruction, and the elimination of all said pacifists, right? Even when I taught through the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, over a year ago, we saw how Jesus' teaching about turning the other cheek didn't mean that we would let someone kill us or our families. We saw that, right? In the gospel, it doesn't say, you know, turn the other thigh when you get shot in one of them, let them shoot your other. It doesn't say, kill, let them kill you, let them hurt your family, it doesn't reveal that. And when we look at all different passages of Scripture, we see that there's more to be said 
than just simple end war at all costs, never ever have any conflict, never. In a fallen world, sometimes conflict is, is necessary, right? And in the Gospels, Jesus even encouraged his disciples to carry the sword to protect themselves and other vulnerable people in self-defense. And we, and as we just read, and we'll see kind of more, you know, in, in an article on religious liberty, in Article 17 kind of next week, Romans 13 actually institutes um, and, and allows the state to bear the sword to protect and punish evildoers. And so um, aspects of judgment and things, e- even as it relates to the state, are, are things that we are aware of, and it's not opposed to Christianity. Christianity is by no means pacifist. Now, Christians can take that position, so you might know somebody who leans that way, and, and in their conscience, they just couldn't go to, to war, or they could never be in law enforcement, or they could never defend themselves and things of that nature. Um, and, and they make, Christians have come to that con, con, conclusion. Um, but I think there's a conscience issue here, and hopefully someone in that situation w- would not seek for everyone to agree with them on that. Uh, because, you know, if that's the case, you know, if there were no police officers or soldiers, I mean, or, or Christians in any other areas permeating those f- uh, fields, um, and we can't certainly all be pacifists in that way because then um, there would be nobody to stand up to bullies and bad guys and wicked people and wicked nations. You see what I'm saying? Um, and Jesus was no pacifist regarding uh, what, even if someone people claim that, uh, Rob Phillips said as it relates to Jesus' ministry, I think it was helpful. He says, Jesus was a peacemaker, not a pacifist. The angrily, of course, righteous anger for Jesus confronting relig- confronted religious leaders who kept people bound in sin and human tradition. He pronounced woes on hypocritical scribes and Pharisees, including the judgment of hell in Matthew 23, and we see that in other places, even closer to the text that we've been in in Matthew. He overturned money changers' tables at the temple and drove away those who sold sacrificial animals at inflated prices. And when he returns to the earth one day in the presence of holy angels and redeemed people, he wears a bloody robe and strikes the nations with the sword of his mouth, as Revelation 19, 13 through 15 says. So Jesus wasn't a pacifist. But just because Jesus wasn't a pacifist and does not require us to be either, we do want to live at peace with all men, which would include wanting war to end. It's not like we like war or that we're ready for it to just happen. We want people to be at, 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 at each other. No. But in, in potentially ending war, sometimes that means going to war in the defense of the, you know, against wicked, godless attacks of, of godless nations in that situation. Um, we think of historically important philosophical and theological discussions as it relates to uh, the justice of certain wars. Think about intervening in the battle against Hitler and Nazis during World War II. And then just the just war theory of Christianity. Thomas Aquinas and Augustine promoted a just war theory that I think is important for us to really quickly see, summarized well by Kelly, Land, and Moeller, who were a part of the putting together the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 updates. And in their book, they said, as defined through the centuries, the just war theory holds that in order for a war or a use of arms to be justified, several criteria must be satisfied. 
The effort must have a just cause, of course, just war theory, which means that the use of force must be defensive and never offensive. The force must also be employed with a just intention to secure a fair, lasting peace for all parties. War must also be understood as a last resort when all other legitimate means of settling a conflict have been tried and have failed. Other principles demand that a just war limit uh, objective, um, a limit objective to what is necessary to establish a just peace, that the use of force be approved by legitimate authority, not just vigilantes running around, uh, that only proportionate means be used, you know, not just really give it to them, go over and above, no, and that non-combatants um, be protected where possible, of course. We don't want civilian casualties in war. And then there must also be a reasonable chance of success and realistic hope that the conflict will lead to a superior, lasting peace. This is a just war kind of theory um, summary, and they had it in their book. I thought it was helpful to share with you. Um, and, and just to be clear here, this dynamic of not the offensive but the defensive just means that we are not going around trying to just conquer everybody for selfish, godless wicked, selfish, you know, type means like some nations have done, that would not be a just war. Certainly in conflicts, there has to be offense and defense interactives in every war that we know of, but that is that that is a position. I think it's a, a good Christian position, and I think it's um, kind of summarized by many Baptists and held in this way. So there's a lot here, um, but to be clear, Christianity also is not a theocratic institution and nation like Israel was. So Jesus rightly, remember, told Peter to put away the sword that he could have used for self-defense. And in principle, it was okay to kind of be thinking about, you know, this unjust seizing of Jesus to defend Jesus against unjust people coming to get him. But because Jesus' kingdom, of course, is not of this world in the sense of kind of drawing geographical battle lines and bearing arms, that's not what the gospel is, that's what the kingdom is. And Jesus was going to go to the cross for a purpose that he had told Peter about before, and other people knew that. And the church is not the state or the military, and we are not called as Christians uh, in the church to do the things that we may be called as, as citizens of a nation to do, go to war, or be a police officer. Or, you know, we're not, we're not setting up police officers here at First Baptist Church of Gallatin, or we're not setting up, uh, we're not creating battle war to go to war as a church. No, no, Southern Baptist Convention doesn't do that either. This is not our calling as the church, um, um, even if some citizens may be called to that. And, um, and so, so it's helpful to make those connections. We are about evangelizing, preaching the gospel, not about swords and bombs and war as it relates to the church, just to be clear on this point. This leads us really, really, really quickly here to our third point, to see the rest of the Baptist faith and message, to realize that only the gospel of Christ will bring lasting peace. At the end of the day, I talked about all the conflict. Only the gospel brings peace. Baptist article 16, the last portion says, the true remedy for the war spirit is the gospel of our Lord. The supreme need of the world is the acceptance of his teaching in all the affairs of men and nations and the practical applications of his law of love. Christian people throughout the world should pray for the reign of the Prince of Peace. Look at Romans 5, 1-2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The biggest problem of us and of all mankind is not earthly wars or drought or famine or interpersonal conflicts and issues at work or in your family. Or The biggest problem that everyone in this room and everyone in the whole world has is not any of that. Our biggest problem is our personal sin and guilt. That, if not addressed, will lead us to hell and judgment forever. Not just a few decades that we have here on this earth, but forever. That's the biggest problem. And since Christians now have peace with God, as we read in Romans 5, then our biggest issue and problem has been met by God. And we know the problem of the world is so that they might have their problem met by God as well. And when we get reconciled with God, as we see in Romans 5, our relationship with God makes all the difference with our relationship with others in this church, in the world. Our vertical justification in getting right before God leads to peace with God, and that impacts our horizontal peace and reconciliation with each other. Now, there are lots of unbelievers We need to continue as a church seeking to be faithful, putting forward gospel realities and knowing. We can't be ignorant and thinking, oh, everybody's just nice and kind and sweet and everybody has our best intentions in mind all the time. That's called ignorance. That's not the Christian worldview. I don't know why any Christian would ever think that about their kids or about the world. We need to recognize how sin permeates all other areas of the world and have a realistic biblical worldview And we know, praise God, that we have peace with God. Other people, if they don't have peace with God, we shouldn't expect them to act all Christian-like, right? And so if people don't have peace with God, it's going to be hard to have horizontal reconciliation, which is why sometimes a conflict in the world, interpersonally. So I just think this realistic view helps us to understand the consequences of the fall that we saw in the first two points, as well as understanding that At the very end of the day, even if we end that war, even if that conflict at work or with our family member gets kind of worked out a little bit and things are better, the other people around us, their biggest need is gospel realities. And if they don't have that, even if there's no wars currently or, you know, all wars end and then all conflict ends and you don't have any conflict, if somebody is just somehow at peace without conflict with anybody, but they're still in conflict with God, they stay... Their biggest problem isn't still met. This shapes and gives us a perspective and and helps us to think about all these things with a worldview that helps us have feet on solid ground instead of being kind of tossed to and fro by the winds of everything that's going on around us. Everybody's supreme need is reconciliation with God. That's what the world needs. So this is where the church comes in And we are the ones who have the great commission to give the gospel to the nations. And as believers find peace with God, they start acting like Christians more and more. And more and more peace comes to those around them. And let's just all remember to keep giving the gospel, keep our focus on these realities and hope and prayer as we seek in the great commission to to point people to Christ, but then also live with wisdom and light of all the really hard realities in a fallen world. I think that's helpful for us to end on and to see.
here at the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word doesn't just ignore really hard realities that we all know and see and face, but it speaks to things like other worldviews just don't speak to. Lord, we recognize that there are some worldviews that just deny the reality of death and suffering. Some worldviews just preach kind of this, you know, reincarnation over and over again and karma and things will get better into the next life if we just do these things here and these works-based systems all over the place. There's so much confusion, but we're thankful that your word actually gives real, true-to-life answers and directions to help us live in the conflicts of this really hard aspect of living in a fallen world. And you don't leave us to be in our own ignorance and opinions, but you point us to really important things so we can live in good consciences towards your word and be aware. Lord, would you just turn us all with a passion of your word and the gospel that we would be focusing on how that's making an impact of our life so that we might find peace, more and more peace, even in our lives with those around us, even in this church, Lord, and that you do a work and that we would all just be thinking about as far as it depends on each one of us so that we might collectively live in your presence, in your salvation, in your transformation, and that that might make an impact in this church and in this community and even in this world. We ask for your help in these things, and we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.